Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is good to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, if this is your first Sunday, or, or maybe I just haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I do want to welcome you because we are glad that you're with us this morning. And before we jump into the sermon, I, I did want to just express on behalf of Steve Hanko, so um, for those of you who don't know Steve, one of the men that Chris just prayed for who was in a, a cycling accident, he asked me this past week as I spoke with him that I would express to y'all his thanks for your love and prayer and the ways that y'all have reached out to he and Beth, Bev. So, um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, continue to pray for them as, as they are unsure what uh, medical treatments will be needed in the future, but, but he is thankful for you. And so too am I. I'm thankful for y'all, how you have loved uh, those in our midst who are in need of community, are in need of love. So thank you. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, in a moment, the passage is going to be projected on the screen in front of you. And if you were here with us last week, you might be um, wondering why we're in 28 chapter 28. In fact, this past week, uh, Kat asked me that very question, <laughs> because uh, a week ago, we were in chapter 26, and so you would think we'd be in 27, and so, you know, my wife, who loves me and cares for me and doesn't want me to look like uh, an idiot, uh, made sure that I didn't skip the, the chapter and, and move on, but, but I, I am skipping it on purpose. We're going to come back to chapter 27 uh, next week. And the reason why we're skipping it this week is because chapters 27, 29, and 30, they dictate, they tell us uh, the storyline of David, uh, the Davidic storyline and the Sauline, I guess we would call it, storyline. They diverge now. You see, last week, this was David's last time interacting with Saul before Saul's death. And, and for the remainder of the book, we're going to have two different storylines one by David, one that focuses on Saul. In 27, 29, 30, which we're going to deal with next week, is the Davidic line. And in the midst of that Davidic line, we have this brief interlude about Saul. This one chapter that focuses on Saul in chapter 28. And Saul has a similar response or a similar problem that David does. Both of them are going to respond to a particular issue, a particular concern. And that concern, that issue, is the Philistines. The Philistines, this warring nation. And this morning, we're looking at how Saul responds in chapter 28. But not just how he responds, but also how his response is a warning for us. So let's go ahead and read. First uh, Samuel 28, we'll begin in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at, Gil at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. 
And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for, for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Behold, or excuse me, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has gone this, done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to it now, that you would open our ears so that we would hear your word. For God, you have the words of life. And there is nowhere else that we desire to go but to you. And so we come to you and ask that you would lead us and teach us. Father, remove us, take away those things that distract us and those things that we cling to. And Father, help us to cling to you, for you are our God and we are in need of you. And so allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. So Barbara Walters, the famous news uh, correspondent... <coughs> Excuse me. 
Why don't I start over? Barbara Walters, <laughs> Barbara Walters, the famous news correspondent and reporter uh, who was, was uh, made famous from her work with 2020, uh, that news show. I, it might still be on, I'm not sure. I remember watching it as a child with my family. But Barbara Walters, who, who reported the news, at one time she was being interviewed herself. And in this interview she said, although I don't go to church or to synagogue, I do pray every time I get on a plane. I just automatically do it. I don't go to church, I don't go to synagogue, but when I get on a plane, I pray. And what do you all think about that statement? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? On the one hand, I actually appreciate her honest reflection, right? She's not pretending to be a religious person. She's acknowledging that this isn't a significant part of her life. I don't go to church, I don't go to synagogue. But when she finds herself in a situation outside of her control, when there's nothing she can do, when she finds herself on a plane that she's not flying and she hasn't built and she has no idea about all those other planes up in the air, what does she do? She prays. Right? She has a clear desire to have assurance that things are going to be okay. When she knows she's embarking on something outside of her power, she looks to one greater, looks to one who is stronger, She wants the benefits of God, doesn't she? She wants the benefits of God, but she wants the benefits of God apart from God. And whether you're a Christian here this morning or not, or whether you are religious or not, or whether you're spiritual or not, you've probably done this. I have. Many of you know that I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up hearing the gospel or or uh, having the Bible read to me on a regular basis. We went through rote prayers before dinner, but that was about it. But we didn't really know anything about God. I didn't know anything about Jesus, except that on Christmas morning, we celebrated his birthday as we destroyed those wrapping papered packages, right? Like, that, that's what I knew of Jesus. And so I really had no time for God, or whether there even was a God. I sometimes dabbled with believing whether he was there or not. But I can tell you that in my times of unsurety and uncertainty and fear, I prayed. I prayed to this God who may or may not be there. You see, I wanted all the benefits of God. I wanted him to comfort me. I wanted him to be with me. I wanted him to help me when I needed help. But when things were going well, well, then I had no need. I didn't have time for him. I only needed him when I knew I needed him. And I would call to him. You see, I wanted the benefits of God apart from God. And that's what Saul's doing in our passage. You see, Saul wants all the benefits of God, but he doesn't really want God himself. And we know this because a few chapters ago in chapter 15, Saul has ignored God's commands. He turned from his ways and rejected the Lord. And because of that, we're told that God rejected Saul. Previously, he had no time for the Lord, but now in his time of need, he does. And his need is the Philistines, right? In verse 4, we're told that they've assembled, they've camped opposite of Israel, and Saul was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Now, we've heard that language before, right? 
of Saul looking upon the Philistines and being afraid and his heart trembling. Remember back in chapter 16, right when the, um, yes, it was, excuse me, chapter 17, when the Philistines were gathered for war against Israel, they were gathered on the other side of the valley and they sent out their warrior. And what did Saul do when he saw Goliath? He trembled. He was afraid. But in that moment, in his fear and his trembling, God sent a rescuer, a deliverer to him, right in the form of David. And David did rescue Israel. He saved them. And so surely now Saul is thinking, in my fear, in my trembling, God saved me before. Maybe he'll save me again. And so what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. It's what we're told in verse 6. He goes to the Lord and he seeks his direction. He wants to know what he's supposed to do and what will come of this situation. He wants all the benefits of God apart from God himself. But God doesn't work that way, does he? God isn't a vending machine dispensing good things when we want them, but, but that we can just ignore when we have no need for him. No, you see, when Saul inquires of the Lord, he doesn't find direction. He doesn't find leading. Instead, what he finds is silence. We're told in verse 6 that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. There were no dreams or visions. If you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see that this was a way that God would sometimes communicate to his people. He would reveal to his people through a dream or a vision what he desired for them, his will for them. But there is no dream for Saul. And so Saul then turns to the Urim. The Urim and the Thummim were, were ways in which the high priest would inquire of God, would seek the Lord's will and guidance. But there was no priest, were there? Because you remember a few chapters ago, what did Saul do to the priests? He took them and he slaughtered them at the city of Nob. And the one priest who got away, Abiathar, where did he go? He went to David. And so this priestly way of discerning God's will, it was closed to him as well. And finally, there is no prophetic word. We're told that the prophets had gone silent as well, and of course they had, because the prophet in this book is Samuel, and we're reminded in verse 3 that he had died. And so the prophetic word had gone silent, and the priestly word of a, the priestly way of discerning God's word, that too had gone silent, and visions and miracles and dreams, they were no more. God had gone silent. And so where does Saul turn? Well, Saul turns to a medium, a medium, or if you uh, remember from uh, older translation, she's called a witch, the witch of Endor. That's not from Star Wars. <laughs> it's not little Ewoks running around. He turns to this medium in verse three. We're, in verse three, we're told that Saul had actually put out the mediums and the necromancers from the land. And this was actually abiding by God's word. Because in Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, we're told that as the people moved into the land, as they started to take the land, that they were to remove the mediums and the fortune tellers and those who inquire of the dead, they, that these practices were forbidden. And so Saul actually is getting something right when he gets rid of them, when he sends them from his land. But then, but now, he wrongfully turns what he had rightfully prohibited. And why does he turn to them? 
to this woman? Because Saul is desperate. Saul is willing to do the very thing God condemned in the hopes that he might find God's will. And so he goes to this medium and he conjures the spirit of Samuel. Now we have to take a moment and kind of just address this, right? The spirit of Samuel. Because this has got to be the weirdest part of the chapter, if not the entire book, right? Right? I mean, it is strange. All of a sudden, the spirit of Samuel shows up. So how are we supposed to understand this? Well, maybe it's here where our modern proclivities about what is possible and not possible start to inform us. And maybe we start to think, well, well, surely this really wasn't a spirit, right? I mean, this, this woman, this medium of Endor, surely she just concocted this because Saul, we're told, didn't see the spirit. And so maybe she's just creating this elaborate ruse to lead Saul, right, to, to trick him. It's one way of understanding it. Another way of trying to understand it, some people have proposed that, that this is the work of demonic powers, that it's not really the spirit of Samuel, but it's demonic spirits that are, that are pretending to be Samuel to terrorize Saul. It's another way of trying to understand it. But I think the best way to approach this is actually the most straightforward way, to take the text at its face value, that this really was the spirit of Samuel. And why do I think that? Well, for a few reasons. One, the narrator of our passage doesn't give us any indication that we should read it any other way. There's, there's not a single thing that we could read and make us think, oh, the, that this was just a, an act of trickery. There's nothing hidden in the Hebrew. There's not a subtle turn of phrase. There's nothing. We're supposed to read it as it's written. It's the first reason. The second is that the Spirit says things to Samuel that... Samuel, or to Saul, that Samuel actually said. Like, look at verse 17. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. These were the words that Samuel had spoken to Saul. These were words that the medium would not have been privy to. And then finally, as Christians, this actually fits with what we believe about the world. Because we believe that there is a very real and very unseen spiritual world around us. That we believe that there is more to what, what, what is going on than simply what we see and what we hear and what we smell and what we touch. There's much more going on. Now granted, most of the time we actually give just head nod, a head nod to that, but we actually live like muggles, don't we? Y'all know what muggles are. Muggles from the world of Harry Potter, right? They're the non-wizarding people in Harry Potter. The muggles are those who are ignorant and unaware and disbelieve that there's this other world around them. And that's how we live most of the time, don't we? I mean, the, the idea that the spirit of Samuel could come, like that there are demonic powers, that there are angelic beings around us, that there's a spiritual unseen world around us, well, I mean, that, that's so antiquated, isn't it? Or is it? You see, a biblical understanding of the world accounts for this. We see throughout the Bible that the Bible presents us with a very real, very unseen spiritual world. 
Jesus spoke of demonic powers in the Gospels, and angels appeared to men. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that the church, we fight and wage war, not against flesh and blood, but against authorities and cosmic powers and against spiritual forces. And so, y'all, the best way for us to read this spirit of Samuel, conjured by this medium of Endor, is to read it at face value. That there's a very real and unseen spiritual world. And God has warned us not to trifle with it. He has warned Saul not to seek them out, but to resist them. But Saul, very hypocritically, does the very thing that God's law has forbidden. He cast them out. He wanted nothing to do with them until he needed them. And he even invokes God's name in verse 10 to encourage this disobedience. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about how, how low Saul has gone. Think about how, how far he has strayed from God's word that he would actually invoke the name of God God's covenantal name, Yahweh, he would use God's covenantal name as a way to encourage disobedience. Y'all, that is evil and wicked and sinful. And yet that's exactly what he does. And when the Spirit appears, Saul says to him in verse 15, God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel, when he appears, he tells Saul why God has gone silent. In verse 18, you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. In essence, he's saying you rejected God, and so God has rejected you. You went deaf to God's word, and so God has gone silent to you. Samuel is telling him you cannot manipulate God. You can't have him only when he is convenient. You can't invoke his name to make him speak. You can't have the benefits of God apart from God. You see, what this is warning us about is a godless life. A godless life results in silence. But here's the thing. As though the deafening silence of God wasn't enough, God doesn't remain silent. He doesn't remain silent in our passage because he actually speaks through the spirit of Samuel. And when he speaks, what he speaks to Saul is a word of judgment. Look at verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul lived outside of God's will, and he rejected the Lord, and he lived apart from God, and the consequence of this godless life is death. And when Saul is confronted by the surety of his death and overwhelmed with despair, we're told in verse 20, that he fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Saul wanted to hear from God, and what he hears is his own death. And the very next day, Saul will go to war, and he will not survive. 
And that is the warning of chapter 28. But before we leave this episode of Saul's life, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, that was a downer. (laughs) Man, Penny, you are so encouraging this morning. Before we leave this episode, and we stop considering Saul's life, this actually should cause us to reflect on our own lives. We shouldn't just pass this over, but this this episode of Saul's life, this warning that we see, it should cause us to look on our own and to ask, are we listening to God? Are we a people who want all the benefits of God without God himself? Now, don't pass over that question too quickly and think, well, well are, that's silly talk. I mean, I'm here, aren't I? Right? Maybe that's going through your mind. I'm here. I'm in church. I have my Bible open before me. I'm in worship. I sing songs. I pray prayers. I volunteer. I give. I come during a global pandemic and I wear things like masks and distance and do all these sorts. Do I want God? Of course I want God. Maybe that's what's going through our minds. But you know, I imagine if we asked Saul that same question, he probably would have come up with some things to say in response to it as well. I mean, after all, Saul would have been raised hearing God's word from his earliest of days. And he was the anointed king, and he sought out the Urim and the visions and the prophets. He was doing these religious activities, wasn't he? But you see, the warning of Saul's life is that he was doing all these things, all these religious activities, in order to reap the benefits of God apart from God. Saul was leading a very religious and a very godless life. So what about you? Do you hear God in his word? Are you abiding in his word? Are you abiding in his word even when his word challenges our preconceived notions? Even when his word requires us to change our lives, even when his word confronts our deeply ingrained behaviors and patterns, are you listening to his word? Do we want the benefits of God, or do we want God himself? You see, friends, we need to heed the warning of this passage and run to the Lord. Run to the word of God and to listen to his voice and to submit every part of our lives to him. And we are to do this because the good news is that God has not remained silent. That out of the silence, God has spoken. Because we are told in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the very word of God who is taken on flesh. And in Hebrews 1, we're told that long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That Jesus has spoken, and when he has spoken, what has he said? He says to us, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Come to me and take my yoke upon you. For it is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me and take up your cross and die to yourself and live for me. He says, come to me because I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. That is what Jesus speaks out of the silence. He speaks life because he is life. 
Because Jesus is the one who conquered death and hell. Because Jesus is the one who defeated principalities and spirits. And Jesus is the one who is exalted in victory. And so friends, people of God, let us not fall in fear when we hear the story of Saul. Instead, let us hear the warning of Saul and let us run to Jesus who is the word of God. Let us run to this one who took judgment on himself, who has conquered death. Let us run so that we would no longer live for ourselves, wanting the benefits of God apart from God, but instead, let us live for him who for our sake died and was raised. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent your Son, who has spoken out of the silence, who is the very word of God made flesh, who dwelt among us and lived amongst us and lived the life we could not live. He is the one who gave his life for us so that our sins would be forgiven. And so we pray that this day and all of our days we would live not for ourselves, but we would live for him who has died and risen again. Father, help us to desire you, to want you, to love you, and to follow you. Our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said together, Amen.